Micah chapter 7, this is the word of Almighty God. Woe is me, for I have become as when the summer fruit has been gathered, as when the grapes have been gleaned. There's no cluster to eat, no first ripe fig that my soul desires. The godly has perished from the earth, and there is no one upright among mankind. They all lie and wait for blood, and each hunts the other with a net. Their hands are on what is evil to do it well. The prince and the judge ask for a bribe, and the great man utters the evil desire of his soul. Thus they weave it together. The best of them is like a briar, the most upright of them a thorn hedge. The day of your watchman of your punishment has come. Now their confusion is at hand. Put no trust in a neighbor. Have no confidence in a friend. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your arms. For the son treats the father with contempt. The daughter rises up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I've sinned against him until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. He will bring me out to the light. I shall look upon his vindication. Then my enemy will see and shame will cover her who said to me, Where is the Lord your God? My eyes will look upon her. Now she will be trampled down like the mire of the streets. A day for the building of your walls. In that day the boundary shall be far extended. In that day they will come to you from Assyria and the cities of Egypt, and from Egypt to the river, from sea to sea, and from mountain to mountain. But the earth will be desolate because of its inhabitants for the fruit of their deeds. Shepherd your people with your staff. The flock of your inheritance who dwell alone in a forest in the midst of a garden land, let them graze in Bashan and Gilead as in the days of old, as in the days when you came out of the land of Egypt. I will show the marvelous things the nations shall see and be ashamed of all their might. They shall lay their hands on their mouths. Their ears shall be deaf. They shall lick the dust like a serpent, like the crawling things of the earth. They shall come trembling out of their strongholds. They shall turn in dread to the Lord our God, and they shall be in fear of you. Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity. And passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. Pray with me, friends. Lord, as we wrap up this glorious prophecy, I ask you this. Point us to Jesus. Do your work in your people for your glory, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. And you can be seated. When we started our look at the book of Micah, I told you to imagine an ugly world 
Imagine living in a world where the powerful abuse the powerless. Imagine living in a world where political leaders ignore justice for worldly pleasure and financial gain. Imagine a world where a real danger of violence, perhaps military violence, threatens the stability of society. Is such a world hard for you to imagine? Imagine a world where some who call themselves the people of God abuse and take advantage of others. Imagine a world in which some of those who call themselves the people of God take part in worldly activities, ignoring God's word for the sake of modern comforts. Imagine a world in which some who call themselves the people of God tell others not to speak the word of God to them if that word makes them uncomfortable. Is such a world hard for you to imagine? Over the past six weeks, six messages, we found that such a world is not at all hard to imagine. It was the world of Micah's day. And in many ways, it's the world of our day. Still today, many leaders are corrupt. Wouldn't you agree? Still today, many strong people oppress the weak. Is that true? Still today, many who would say that they know God act as if they don't. Still today, those who love God need God's help if they're going to survive. Micah prophesied more than 2,700 years ago. He spoke truth into a corrupt society and over a set of three prophetic cycles, Micah called on the people to turn away from sin and find hope in the Lord. Today, as we close this powerful book, we'll find two basic points. We'll see the darkness of the broken and sinful world and by the grace of God, We'll see the hope that Micah had to offer his hearers. Now, what we're going to do, like we've done with every one of these messages, first, we'll read the text to see what Micah had to say to the people of around 700 BC. Then, in the end, we're going to look to see the timeless truth that God has for all of us right here this morning. So, for one last time, let's take a dive through a chapter of the book of Micah. You with me? All right. Point number one. Sinful man is not faithful. Could I have said something more obvious? Sinful man is not faithful. You can take some notes under that, but that's our point. Look at verses 1 through 4 first. Woe is me, for I have become as when the summer fruit has been gathered, as when the grapes have been gleaned. There is no cluster to eat, no first ripe fig that my soul desires, The godly has perished from the earth, and there is no one upright among mankind. They all lie in wait for blood, and each hunts the other with a net. Their hands are on what is evil to do it well. The prince and the judge ask for a bribe, and the great man utters the evil desire of his soul. Thus they weave it together. The best of them is like a briar, the most upright of them a thorn hedge. The day of your watchman of your punishment has come Now their confusion is at hand. You know, when chapter 6 began this last of the three prophetic cycles, God called the mountains and the hills to stand as witnesses of his faithfulness. 
in comparison to the people's rebellion. And God called on the people, don't try to buy my favor with offerings. Instead, do justice. Love kindness. Walk humbly, circumspectly in his ways. And God promised that he was going to bring judgment upon the land, especially on the evil leaders who were oppressing people and driving corruption deeper and deeper into the land. As this chapter opens, we see just how distressed, how distraught, how stressed out Micah is. He cries, woe is me. Micah feels accursed. He feels destroyed. This prophet has spoken the word of God to the people who are in power, and they're not listening. Verse 1, the prophet brings to mind for you a vine picked clean of grapes or a fig tree with no fruit left on it. You ever, you ever buy grapes in your house? How many of you ever had grapes and children in the same house? Have you ever noticed that when you have grapes and children in the same house, when you open whatever container the grapes are to be in, it is very feasible for you to find little twiggy, grapey cluster things with no little grapes on them. You ever find, you ever find one of those in the fridge? Some of you are not parents or aren't telling me the truth. That's what he feels. But what's he talking about? Verse 2, he tells us, As a vine should have grapes, lots of healthy grapes, the land of Judah should be filled with righteous people and godly leaders. But the land is empty of godly men. It's devoid of holy leadership. Micah says that the people of the land, they're the kind of people who lie in wait for blood. They're looking to get you. They're happy to do violence. They're eager to hurt other people if they can take things away from those who are weaker than them. Verse 3 begins, their hands are on what is evil to do it well. What a horrible testimony about the people who are supposed to be doing justice, loving kindness, and walking humbly with God. Ask yourself this, well, surely the leaders, are they better than the common man? No. No. The prince and the judge are asking for bribes. The powerful man is working with the leaders to do his own desire. Even if that desire crushes the poor and crushes the needy, that's what he's after. And while the people of Judah ought to be able to lean on God, they ought to be able to lean on godly leadership, they ought to be able to look at their leaders and say, you guys, you guys will watch out for us, right? You guys will lead us righteously. The best men that they've got to follow in Judah in Micah's day are like thorn bushes. You can't touch them without getting hurt. As we've been reading all along in this book, God is promising a day of judgment to come because of the wickedness of his people in Judah. Punishment and confusion is at hand. Enemy armies, droughts, crop failures, just unsatisfaction with life, all those things are headed Judah's way because of their corruption. 
If you lived in Judah during Micah's day, there'd have been a lot to be afraid of. Besides the basic struggle to survive, every agrarian society had that struggle, right? What if it doesn't rain? Are we, how much trouble are we in? Micah's people also faced the fear of the Assyrian Empire to their north. In the year 732, the Assyrian Empire conquered the nation of Syria. And those were people the Judeans already thought were terrifying. So if a big bully comes and beats up the guy you think is the big bully, and then he's looking at you with, a, with, a bit, with a, like a scowl on his face, you're scared. In 722 BC, the Assyrians utterly destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel, squashing Samaria, carrying away the people. The Assyrians then would march through the land of Judah in 701 BC and they decimated everything in their path. Only the miraculous intervention of God prevented the Assyrians from demolishing Jerusalem itself. Then look at verses 5 and 6. Put no trust in a neighbor. Have no confidence in a friend. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your arms. For the son treats the father with contempt. The daughter rises up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. You know, one might wonder, if the leaders are so bad and the rich folks are so bad, just who can you trust? If the leaders are all corrupt, can we trust the common man? Are the people of your household safe to trust? Not in Micah's day they weren't. This warning from the prophet is absolutely terrifying. Don't trust a neighbor. Don't trust a friend. Not when Assyria is threatening the city. Even your friends will sell you out. How about family? Micah says not. Your wife, your children, your in-laws, they will all throw you over if they think they can benefit from it. That's how corrupt things had gotten in Judah during Micah's day. Then verse 7, though, look at this. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. What's Micah going to do? Leaders are not safe. The rich are corrupt. Judges and princes take bribes. You can't lean on friends. You can't lean on family. Micah will lean on and wait on the Lord. Micah believes the Lord is faithful and the Lord will hear his cries. Micah will set his hope completely on God. In this entire passage, Micah has painted for us a very dark, dismal picture of human nature. Be honest with me. Is that picture to you a shocking picture? Does it surprise you that people act like this? If you've been with us for the past six chapters... Nothing about these words is is a surprise for the people of Micah's day. The people stopped loving God. In not loving the Lord, you know what they stopped loving? They stopped obeying the laws of God, loving the laws of God. But friends, it's the word of God that calls on us to treat others the way we'd like to be treated. 
It's the law of God that calls on us to value human life and not to take it as cheap. It's the law of God that calls on us to protect the weak and bring justice to the oppressed. But if people don't love the Lord, if people turn from God's law, if people are not held back from evil by the Spirit of God, then humanity is free to become as wicked as they want to be. And know this, dear friends, the corruption of sin, if left unchecked, will lead to a world of darkness and futility, the likes of which we have never even imagined, not even in the worst dystopian movies, not even in the most obnoxious, angsty novels. If we look back in history, we've seen glimpses of it, haven't we? The heart of mankind is wicked when left to itself. When divorced from the word and the ways of God, man goes wicked. You saw it in the 17th century. Slave trade was wicked. The law of God would have said no. But men divorced themselves from the law of God or ignored the law of God and they took people as if they were animals. In the 20th century, the Holocaust, we saw this ugly heart. In the evils of racism, we've seen this ugly heart. In the modern embrace of the murder of children in the womb and in abortion, we see this ugly heart. In the mutilation of healthy young bodies in the transgender cause, we see this heart. Should we then be hopeless? Micah's not. While Micah knows the man, that mankind around him is not going to turn from sin on their own, Micah knows something else. Micah knows the God who made him. And Micah knows what point number two is going to be, the final point for this book. Point number two, God is faithful. God is faithful. As we read to the close of this book, this last bit looks like a song. It looks like a hymn of trust in the faithfulness of God. It has four stanzas. And each bit of this hymn, each verse of the song, highlights for us something glorious. So look at 8 to 10. Stanza 1 of the hymn. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I've sinned against him until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. He will bring me out to the light. I shall look upon his vindication. Then my enemy will see, and shame will cover her who said to me, Where is the Lord your God? My eyes will look upon her. Now she will be trampled down like the mire of the streets. Bruce Waltke describes this little stanza of the hymn as Lady Jerusalem confessing. Perhaps it's the city. Perhaps it's the people of God. But this little section is a right and godly response, a repentant response for the nation. Verse 8 looks at the gloating enemies of the people of God. 
And it says, don't gloat. Don't rejoice when I fall. Don't rejoice when Judah is finally overrun. When Judah's overrun by the Assyrians, when Jerusalem is sacked by the Babylonians, do not rejoice over our distress. Jerusalem says, because I will not fall so as to be utterly destroyed. I will rise again. I will be kept by the Lord. His light will overcome my darkness. Verse 9, the people of God understand they're going to suffer for a time the judgment of God, and they should. Why? They know they've sinned against the Lord. They know, in accord with the law of God, the covenant of God with Israel, they must face exile and hardship. They agree to that law. God will keep his law. But Micah's speaking at the same time. Micah's speaking here at the same time as Isaiah is prophesying. They were contemporaries, right? You know that? They hung out and I don't know if they hung out together or not. It would have been a party, I'm sure. But perhaps, just perhaps, Micah is aware of both the judgment of God that faces Jerusalem with the Babylonian threat. In Isaiah chapter 39, Isaiah told King Hezekiah that his descendants are going to go captive to Babylon along with all of their wealth. But Isaiah later tells the people of God that though they will go captive to Babylon, God will raise up a king, specifically King Cyrus by name, who will return them to their land. Listen to Isaiah 44, verses 24 to 28. Listen to how specific this gets. First, thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, who formed you from the womb. I am the Lord who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself, who frustrates the signs of liars and makes fools of diviners, who turns wise men back and makes their knowledge foolish, who confirms the word of his servant and fulfills the counsel of his messengers, who says of Jerusalem, she shall be inhabited, and of the cities of Judah, they shall be built, and I will raise up their ruins. Who says to the deep, be dry, I will dry up your rivers. Who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and he shall fulfill all my purpose, saying of Jerusalem, she shall be built, and of the temple, your foundation shall be laid. Listen with a little history, okay? I know I've done this a few times, but you've got to see this. The Babylonians began the conquest of Judah in the year 606 B.C. Cyrus, the king over the Persian Empire, decreed the return of the exiles to the land in 539 B.C. That Isaiah and Micah, around the year 700 B.C., that's like a hundred and... 61-ish years before all this goes down? Is that right? Someone do the math for me. That they could tell the people, you all are going to face the judgment of God and your land is going to rise again because a king named Cyrus who hasn't been born yet and won't be born for more than a century is going to send you back. That they can do that? That's something only God can do, folks. And this is precisely what Micah is singing about in verses 9 and 10. 
Also in verse 10, Micah warns the enemies of God that one day, one day they're going to see the vindication of God's people. One day, those who have rejoiced in the weakness of God's people, they're going to see God raise those people up. God's going to forgive them their trespasses. God's going to restore them to his favor. And one day, those who mock God and mock God's people will themselves be trampled under his hooves. Symbolic of God's righteous power. God is faithful. That's our second point, right? In the first stanza of the hymn, God is faithful to vindicate his people. God will faithfully judge. God will faithfully pardon. God will faithfully keep his own. But now look at the second stanza, verses 11 to 13. A day for the building of your walls. In that day, the boundary shall be far extended. In that day, they will come to you from Assyria and the cities of Egypt and from Egypt to the river, from sea to sea and from mountain to mountain. But the earth will be desolate because of its inhabitants for the fruit of their deeds. So, one might think, reading that last stanza, 8 to 10, that only the people of Judah, only the physical descendants of Abraham through the tribe of Judah, have hope in the Lord. But nothing could be further from the truth. In point of fact, God's true people, the true Israel of God, it's not just those descendants. The true Israel of God is a new nation, a sacred people made up of people from all the nations. Now, verse 11 talks about the building of walls, and you're probably thinking city walls right there, but don't. It's actually, the, the words, the Hebrew there, it's the walls that you would use around a sheepfold. It's not the building up of walls with battlements on top of them. So what are we saying? God, God says, I'm going to bring in all my sheep, and I want you to look at who comes. Verse 12, the sheepfold Besides including people from Jerusalem is going to include sheep from Egypt, from Assyria, from the mountains to the rivers to the seas. Do you understand here, friends, God is building a kingdom for himself made up of people who come to him out of every nation all over the whole wide world. Now outside the walls of God's sheepfold, the people outside of his grace, there is destruction. There's desolation, verse 13. But those who willingly come to the Lord and get under the grace of God have life, green pastures. But those who oppose the Lord, they've got desolation and destruction. God is faithful. God will faithfully build his kingdom. And thanks be to God, that kingdom is for people of any background, any nation, any ethnicity, any color, any wealth level, any anything, if they will come to Jesus in faith. Let me ask you, how many of you are naturally born Judeans? Any of y'all? How many of you are glad that you're not excluded because you're not a natural-born Judean? There you go. Verses 14 to 17, stanza 3. Shepherd your people with your staff. 
the flock of your inheritance who dwell alone in a forest in the midst of a garden land, let them graze in Bashan and Gilead as in the days of old, as in the days when you came out of the land of Egypt. I will show them marvelous things. The nation shall see and be ashamed of all their might. They shall lay their hands on their mouths. Their ears shall be deaf. They shall lick the dust like a serpent, like the crawling things of the earth. They shall come trembling out of their strongholds. They shall turn in dread to the to the Lord our God, and they shall be in fear of you. So the third verse of the hymn calls on the Lord to shepherd his people just like he shepherded his people when he brought Israel up out of Egypt. Because God brought them up out of the wilderness wanderings. He brought them into the promised land. Micah says, oh, let us go from the forest to the garden. Let us enter into the Lord's promised rest, grazing in Bashan and Gilead. That's a reminder of the entry of Israel into the promised land. And all of this is going to be marvelous for the people of God. It's going to be great. But in contrast, 16 and 17 show us the nations that continue to oppose the Lord and who fight against God's people. You know, it may look like the oppressive nations like Assyria get some victories. God will never let their victory stand. Eventually, under the sovereign judgment of God, the nations are going to be ashamed of their former pride. Their foolish self-confidence and their military might will shame them. And the Lord promises in verse 17 that the nations will humbly come in submission to the people of God. God is faithful. Micah wanted the people of God to know that though the world seems shaped to oppose the people of God, it will not last forever. Ultimately, the people of God, under the leadership of their Holy Lord, will be victorious. Eventually, God's people will experience nothing but God's favor. Eventually, the wicked who oppressed the people of God will be humbled under God's mighty rule. A day is coming, friends, when everything in the world will be set right. All over the world, to the glory of God, to the good of God's people. And what a great hope that must have been to the people who had so much to fear when they were right there between rising hostile empires. And now, I want to tell you, as we get ready to wrap up, you're not ready to wrap up yet, right? We can do this for a little while longer. This is my favorite part. This part's been good so far. This is my favorite part. 18 to 20. Who's a God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. He will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. He will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. Micah asked the question, who is like the Lord our God? What's the obvious answer, friends? Nobody. God is holy. Therefore, there has never been anyone who is like unto the Lord our God. God is holy. God is perfect. God is utterly different than any of the false gods that mankind can imagine. 
And one thing that distinguishes God from the false gods of the world is God's faithful love, his loving kindness, his faithfulness to forgive, to pass over our transgression. How many of you know that you're guilty of stepping over the line into into the realm of evil against the Lord? Have you ever done that? If you don't think you have, you have. If you do think you have, you have. You've walked intentionally across the line. You've walked accidentally across the line. You've crossed the line. What glorious news that God forgives transgressions. Mike is telling the people of Judah, God will not remain angry with you people in Judah forever. No, God delights in chesed, steadfast, never giving up, never failing, covenant-making, covenant-keeping love. God says, I will keep a remnant of my people that I might keep my covenant promises and that I might not utterly destroy this nation. And look at the joy of verse 19. God will time and time again have compassion on his people. God will tread their iniquities underfoot. He will take what should condemn his people and he'll throw it on the ground and he'll walk over it. And then it gets even better. God will take the sins of his people and he will throw those sins far into the depths of the sea. And no, that is not God saying he's going to pollute the ocean with your wickedness. This is a poetic way for God to say he will put your sins so far away from you that your sins could never, ever be found again. And verse 20 shows that God will always be faithful to his promises that he made to Abraham and to Jacob. Promises to bless the entire world through the nation he would raise up. God promised to bring a descendant of Abraham into the world who would fix what's wrong with the world. And God will never let that promise die no matter how wicked the people of Micah's day it became. God is faithful, faithful to forgive. So let's wrap up the final prophecy from Micah. And one last time, let's take a look at what the word from 700 B.C., from 2,700 plus years ago, has to say to people from the 21st century. It's not hard, by the way. First, remember that in general, mankind is not faithful. Is that hard for you to know? No. All mankind is guilty of sinning against God. No person can ultimately be perfectly faithful. No government, no politician, no powerful benefactor is totally faithful. In our world, we're going to see that all of the people who oppose the Lord and oppose God's ways, they will be proved to be unfaithful to mankind. Nobody is reliable outside of the Lord. Let that section remind you of the truth that we're all guilty before the Lord. When Micah warned people, don't trust your neighbor, don't trust your friends, don't trust she who lies in your arms, don't trust your spouse. That's a reminder that, by the way, you probably ought not trust yourself. How many of you think you are a paragon of virtue and utter trustworthiness? Listen, if you rest in yourself, 
If you trust in your own goodness and your own faithfulness, if you try by your own power to make yourself right with God, you will fail and you will die. If you try by your own power to make the world better, you can't do it. You must have the forgiveness of God. You must have the Spirit of God. You must have the help of Almighty God. Do not think of yourself or any other human being as faithful. Now, here's the beauty of this. I wrote that paragraph weeks ago and Ben taught it in Sunday school. Do you guys see that God is telling you something today? Bless you. As the hymn that closes this book tells us, see that God is faithful. Praise God that he's faithful. Like Lady Jerusalem in verses 8 to 10, you confess your sin to God. Own the fact that you have been unfaithful and look to the Lord Jesus for mercy and forgiveness. As we saw in verses 11 to 13 of the hymn, Thank God, rejoice that God's family, God's sheepfold, is made up of more than just the natural descendants of Abraham. God has widened the wall of his sheepfold to include all people of all nations who will come to him in faith. By the way, that means don't you dare ever look at any person who looks different than you, who speaks with an accent different than you, or has a different background than you, as if you're somehow better than them because of your look, your background, your accent. There's one people of God, one sheepfold, and if you're in it, it's by grace. Come to Jesus in faith. Understand, as we saw in verses 14 to 17 of the hymn, The simple truth. There is salvation and joy for those who come to God in faith. There is hardship and destruction for those who reject the offer of God's grace. Ultimately, friends, God will set the world right. And you want to be on God's side when he sets the world right. And let the close of the hymn, verses 18 to 20, point you straight on, squarely toward Jesus. God will take your sins away. God will cast your wrongs deeper than the depths of the sea, far beyond reach. But the only way this happens, the only way at all, is by God's grace through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Jesus is God's Son. Jesus came and fulfilled these promises that were sung by Micah. Jesus took upon himself all the guilt of all the people God would ever forgive. Jesus was trampled by the wrath of God while on the cross. He took our punishment. Jesus died and in doing so proved the perfect justice of God. And Jesus rose from the grave to give life to everybody who will ever trust in him. If you don't know Jesus, you really should want to. God is faithful. God will forgive. And the only way to actually have the forgiveness of God is for you to put your hope, your trust, your faith in Jesus forever. 
rely on Jesus and Jesus alone, turn to him in faith, turn away from rebelling against him, and you will be saved. And what joy. For all who have trusted in Jesus, God has cast our sins away. Do you get that? God will never bring your sins up against you to hurt you. God isn't mad at you, Christian. Because he took all that anger and he took all that wrath and he poured it out on Jesus and he cast it away from you. That's good news. God will look at everyone who knows Jesus as possessing the perfect righteousness of Jesus. God is faithful and God will be faithful now and forever. He'll make the world right. So hope in the faithfulness of our God. Let's bow together and pray, friends. Lord, even now, as we wrap up a two millennia old book, almost three, we hear words that mean so much to us this day. Lord, have mercy. Help us love you. Help us rejoice in the gospel and grace. Help us rejoice that it's not our own goodness that makes the case for us, but instead it is our advocate, our Savior, Jesus Christ, who stands in heaven looks at all who have trusted in him and says, mine. God, have mercy. If anyone doesn't know you here, help them come to know you. For those who do know you, help them rejoice and rest in your faithfulness. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.